Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Welcome, I'm Matt Van Cleve, one of the pastors at Blue Oaks. We're going to start today by looking at a story Jesus told about pride. It's in Luke 18, starting at verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a dishonest tax collector. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery, I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. There's a pattern we see throughout Jesus' teachings. He takes what the world teaches and flips it upside down. You see, our world says, honor yourself, lift yourself up, exalt yourself. Jesus says, the proud will be humbled and the humble will be honored. Now, as a church, we're trying to build a community based on the reality that you reach greatness, not by climbing a ladder, but by descending down it. We descend into greatness. We're trying to build a community based on the truths that we find in scripture. Truths like financial security comes to those who have enough trust in God that they become amazingly generous that they come to actually trust that Jesus really knew what he was talking about when he said, it's better to give than to receive. We're trying to build this kind of community. And in order to do that, part of what needs to happen is we need to fight the way we're conditioned by this world. Let's look at Luke 18, starting at verse nine again. Then Jesus told this story to some who had trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Jesus tells this story to people who believed that they were righteous based on their own effort. You see, the religious leaders had a problem with Jesus's teachings because they were trying to use the biblical laws to demonstrate their righteousness. Whereas Jesus would flip the law to be about what was happening in their hearts. You know, the classic litmus test of someone's spiritual development is, does what we're doing lead us into love for God and love for other people? Or does it lead us out of love for God and other people? Let me give you a few examples in our day. Uh, First of all, think about Steve. Uh, Steve was angry, angry with his family, angry with his friends and neighbors, angry with the people he worked with. He was even, even angry with the people he had gone to church with his whole life. Steve got into fights with people all the time about politics, He carried grudges for years. He never forgot a hurt. There were people from his neighborhood, work, and church that he wouldn't speak to. People outside the church wouldn't put up with him because he was obnoxious. 
but inside the church, his obnoxiousness and anger was regarded somehow as a passion for the truth. And he was thought of as a spiritual leader. Cindy was the most feared person in the church. She was a master of guilt and manipulation. She led a Bible study for women. And it was very clear that all women were welcome, but they were only welcome to stay if they did everything she told them to do. She was involved in a lot of people's lives in the church, but she didn't really love them. She wanted to control them. She had been in the church her whole life, but she didn't learn how to love. At home, she was the boss, although ironically, she believed theologically that the husband was the head of the household. So in her home, her husband was the spiritual leader because she said he was. And God help him if he didn't lead the way she wanted him to. She was regarded in the church as a spiritual leader. Women looked up to her and thought that's what they should be. Jonathan was a leader and a blogger who viewed himself as a defender of the truth. And he enjoyed shredding other people who disagreed with any of his positions. And he didn't just rip into them, he would deliberately twist around everything they said to make it sound as bad as possible. He would attack their motives, even though he didn't know what their motives were. He knew a lot of information, even a lot of information about the Bible. But instead of making him more loving, it made him more proud. It made him more arrogant. He would slander the truth in the name of defending the truth. And he was thought of as a spiritual leader. People would mistake his information for wisdom. Now I could go on and on to describe many more of these types of people, but let me tell you why I describe them. I describe these people because something has bothered me for a long time. And it's not just that these kinds of people exist. I mean, we all struggle. It's not just that these people exist in churches. Churches are places for people who struggle. What really bothers me is that in church after church, these people are not thought of as weaker Christian brothers and sisters who need help. These people are looked up to as examples of what it means to be spiritual leaders. They're often what other people in the church think they're supposed to be. And when sensible people get turned off by these, these examples of spiritual leadership, they think there must be something wrong with me. I must not really want to grow spiritually. In Luke 18, we have these religious people who took their practice of spirituality very seriously. And the result of it was they despised everyone else. Their ability to love other people was not increasing. So now Jesus wants to try to get past the defenses of these kinds of people. So he tells a story. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a dishonest tax collector. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. So we have this proud Pharisee who was one of the religious elite in that day, a spiritual athlete to the people in that culture. He's saying, I have more than fulfilled the requirements. I'm doing extra credit in the field of spirituality. He examined himself and he said, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a cheater, I am engaged in spiritual practices and I tithe. But the one thing he missed was pride. He despised others. 
So that's the Pharisee in Jesus' story. And then Jesus says, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Now you have to understand, in that day, a tax collector was the moral equivalent of a drug dealer or a wife abuser. He would be shunned by all respectable people. He was an untouchable. He's not standing up in the front of the temple so everyone can see how righteous he is. The best he can bring himself to do is just say, have mercy on me. I throw myself on the mercy of the court. Now to this point, as Jesus is telling the story, you need to understand in that setting to his listeners, there is no doubt in their minds about who the good guy is in the story. They're all waiting for the tax collector, the evildoer, the, the traitor to the people of Israel to get the ax in the story. Then Jesus points to the wrong guy. Jesus points to the Pharisee and Jesus says, you know, this Pharisee over here, this Pharisee says that he and the tax collector are in two different categories and he's right. He's just confused about who's in which category. He points to the tax collector and he says, this corrupt, greasy, greedy, sleazy scum of the earth, he's okay in God's sight. He who casts himself on the mercy of the court, he's okay. This other one who is so virtuous and so righteous and so uh, religious, who can give all the right answers and who is so cold and so arrogant, he's not okay in the sight of God. Now you have to understand the shock that would go through the crowd when they hear this story. This is not the way the story is supposed to end because the Pharisee looked like the godly man to everyone there. You see, this Pharisee believes all the right stuff. He has all the right values. He lives a moral life. And Jesus says he's disgusting in the face of God because he has no love, no love for God and no love for people. He's in this kind of secret club of insiders who don't welcome sinners. He doesn't embrace people who are on the outside. The irony of this is he is the biggest sinner of them all, but he doesn't even see it. The truth about most religious leaders in Jesus' day and the truth about this man was he was more damaged by his righteousness than the sinner was damaged by his sin. His pride caused him to miss the mark of true spirituality. Now, if you take your faith seriously, pride is a major danger. For the next couple of minutes, I'm gonna run through a few categories of pride to get you thinking about how pride may take root in your life. One form of pride the writers of scripture talk about is self-preoccupation or narcissism. Uh, these are people who are focused on their image. Let me just give you a few ideas to see if this fits you. If when you're looking at pictures, you pretend like you're looking at other people in the picture, but really you're just looking at yourself, you're checking to see if it's a good picture of you, uh, maybe you're better looking than you thought you were. Or maybe this is you if you work out more than a few times a week. Or when you're working out, you just can't stop looking at yourself in the mirror. Or if it takes you more than an hour to fix your hair and makeup and get dressed in the morning, you may have this problem. Or if you exaggerate the truth about yourself to make yourself look better than you really are. Another form of pride the writers of scripture talk about is stubbornness. Proverbs 29.1 says, 
one who is often reproved yet remains stubborn will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And what's going on here is they're stubborn because their pride won't allow them to receive reproof or, re or correction. If this is you, when you're in a conflict, uh, you may find yourself saying, I don't have anything to apologize for. And the problem you face is you just can't stop defending yourself. Someone shows you an error or a flaw in your character and you evade it or deny it or blame it on someone else. You can't acknowledge the presence of blemishes in your life because of pride. And this gets real deep. Uh, the problem is if you're dealing with a defensive person and you point out to him or her that he or she is defensive, what do they do? They defend themselves. It's very difficult to get past this. If this is you, one of the interesting things about you is you've never actually been wrong in your life. It's actually an interesting thing. Another form of pride is controlling. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Instead of trying to control or climb the ladder, we're instructed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But controlling people have difficulty doing this. If you're a controlling person, your motto is, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. You have a difficult time handing the reins over to someone else. All right, the last one I'll give you, and this is painful, but it's just so much fun. <laughs> Judging. Uh, Matthew 7, 1 says, do not judge so that you may not be judged. Now, if this is you, then the world is a movie and you've been called to be the critic. One of your favorite phrases is, I may not, it may not be any of my business, but. Now understand what's behind this one is not simply that you're evaluating things because evaluation and discernment are very important. This is a failure to be for someone. You're not really for the person you're talking about. Okay, so those are some of the categories to get you thinking about how pride may be taking root in your life. Now, I'd like you to hear a story from someone who's figuring out how to root the pride out of his life. This is Kevin's story. So the, um, the first 10 years of my career uh, were a real struggle for me. Um, you know, work was just, it was an idol of the worst kind. And um, when I'm thinking back to it, it was just, it was a miserable, uh, miserable time for me professionally. I work in the finance in industry. I work for an investment firm. And, um, it, you know, as I think about it, I've never really felt um, 100% at home in my job. Um, you know, I've always kind of struggled with a sense of inadequacy. And even today, that's the case. I'm surrounded by, um, you know, people who are just, I think everyone in my line of work, um, in my office at least, has a Ivy League background. Um, you know, there's lots of valedictorians, there's lots of college athletes, and, you know, I'm just very smart, capable people. I mean, more articulate, better looking. I mean, I think about kind of everything. Um, sometimes I wonder why I'm in the job that I'm in, but... You know, for the first 10 years of my career, I just, I found myself always trying to measure up, right? I was, um, you know, always trying to keep my head just above water and, you know, really not finding a lot of success. 
Um, and being the prideful person that I am, you know, when things didn't go well at work, I, I just did what I always do in situations like that. Like, I told myself I'm gonna work harder, I'm gonna rely on my own abilities, I'm just gonna fix this, I'm gonna make this better. Um, and I tried that for a decade and it just, it didn't work. And, you know, I was working 100 hour weeks consistently, I was sleeping four hours a night and I was doing this for years. And it just had a really negative impact, not just on work, but everything around me. I mean, it, you know, it affected my family, it affected my kids, my parenting, my health. I really hit kind of a, I don't know, a, a you know, a low point. I would say it was probably in uh, 2008, right around there. And, you know, everything was at the time was just going terribly. Like all the companies I was involved in were just doing really, really bad. And um, I remember leaving the office, uh, it was probably midnight and I was driving home and I, I've never audibly heard the voice of God, but honestly, this is, it was probably the most clear message that I've ever received. And it was very short. It was basically surrender, trust and let go. You know, up until that point, God had just shut every door. I mean, I literally tried everything, right? And every door that I opened, God would shut. And so I went home, thought about it, and went to work the next day. And, you know, as usual, it was a terrible day. I mean, I just, you know, everything was going wrong. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to do something different here, right? Not, not because I wanted to. I didn't really have a choice. God had closed all the doors. And so I looked at my watch. It was 6 o'clock. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to get up and leave. So, and I've never left the office at 6 o'clock. So I did that. I got up and walked out the door. And I was terrified. I mean, I was convinced that the world would fall apart. I was, you know, my companies were all gonna, you know, go bankrupt and was gonna lose my job and lots of anxiety. Um, but that actually wasn't what happened. So I went home and I got a phone call and there was just a little bit of good news about one of my companies. And I remember thinking to myself, this is interesting. So I went to work the next day similar thing happened very tough day at work so looked at my watch six o'clock just got up and left and got another little piece of good news and that continued so i went to work the next day things got a little bit better went to work the next day and things got a little bit better and, and it just that was kind of the turning point for me and as i look back on that experience i mean it was you know 12 years ago now you know god made it just crystal clear to me that there was absolutely zero connection between my success at work and my own efforts. In fact, if anything, there was a negative correlation, right? Because the harder that I worked, the worse things got. I really think God gave me that experience and, and he did more than that. He really, um, he really accompanied me in that journey to that low place to really put to death, I think, any inkling of pride. Um, you know, after that experience, I was absolutely convinced that any amount of success that I found at work, um, any amount of influence that was provided to me had absolutely zero to do with any of my own abilities and my own efforts. And when I finally realized that, when I internalized that, so not just, but when I really understood that, everything changed, my outlook changed. Um, it just, it felt like a weight was lifted. There was this huge freedom that was provided. You know, freedom to, um, you know, give with the knowledge that, you know, I'm not the source of anything. You know, on my best day, I'm a conduit that God can maybe work through to reach other people. 
Um, it gave me the freedom to, um, you know, acknowledge God, to just give him the credit, to, um, you know, to enjoy those good days, to really endure those tough days, to surrender, to trust, to let go, all of these things. And here's the thing, um, you know, those 10 years, they were filled with a, a lot of suffering, you know, just anxiety, insecurity, and maybe some of you have, uh, experience something similar to this you know um, maybe it has to do with work and your job maybe it's in some totally different area maybe it's your marriage your relationships or uh, parenting or your health um, but i think we've all experienced those those periods where we feel like man we're just in a desert right we're all alone god's nowhere to be found but here's the thing that i learned um, in my time there is a very clear connection between suffering and humility. It's almost like you rarely find one without the other. They're almost like two sides to the same coin. You know, because I think so often we find our greatest strength in those lowest of low points, right? When we are at our absolute weakest, when we are on our knees, when we're helpless, when we're out of options, where we're out of answers, where we have literally extinguished every single option available to us, you know, it's at that point when pride, which I think is one of the most stubborn, most persistent of all sins, it's at that point when pride really dies and we are forced to shift our reliance from ourselves to our Father who's in heaven. And when we finally do that, when we finally open that last door, everything changes. Kevin has a powerful story of what God is doing in his life. I hope some of you are able to connect with that. All right, now, how do we deal with pride? Uh, first of all, you need to acknowledge your pride. I'm just gonna talk about two things. And the first is acknowledge your pride. President Lincoln once got caught up in a situation where he made a political decision motivated by his own pride. He wanted to please a politician, so he issued a command to transfer certain regiments. When the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, received the order, he refused to carry it out. He said the president was a fool. Lincoln was told what Stanton said, and he replied, if Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be, for he is nearly always right. I'll see for myself. As the two men talked, the president quickly realized his decision was a serious mistake and withdrew it without hesitation. Acknowledge your pride. Uh, you may want to ask some people you trust about how pride is rooted in your life because pride is so woven deeply into our culture. Uh, we breathe it in all the time. Muhammad Ali, one of the best boxers in history, was famous for saying, I am the greatest. It was kind of his motto. We live in that kind of world. Acknowledge your own pride. Acknowledge it to yourself. Acknowledge it to God and you'll need to talk about it with another person. You'll need to have someone else that can help you root this out of you. This is deadly serious business, especially for people who are serious about following Christ because it's so easy when I begin to do things like pray or read the Bible or share my faith to get off track and to begin to think, well, now I'm becoming righteous. All right, acknowledge your pride. And then Jesus says very clearly, humble yourself. How do we do that? 
I'll give you kind of a, a pop quiz. How do we humble ourselves in the real world? I'm gonna give you a real life situation and I just want you to reflect on what you would do as a follower of Christ in the real world. Someone compliments you on the way you look. Now you're trying to be humble. How do you respond? Option number one, uh, you look down at the ground, you shuffle your feet and you say, well, I'm not really attractive. It's just kind of the lighting in here is kind of dim. Sounds like a humble thing to say, right? Option number two, boldly speak the truth by saying, you know, I'm very interested, you know, tell me more and let's celebrate this good news together. It's just the truth in love, you know, let me have it. Option number three, in order to correct their superficial focus on physical appearance, you quote Proverbs 11:22, a beautiful woman lacking discretion and modesty is like a fine gold ring in a pig's snout. That would pretty much eliminate any future compliments. Option number four, you say something like, you know, you're giving me a big head, get behind me, Satan. Very direct and to the point. Or option number five, smile, say thank you, and be quiet. You see, humility, which is what we're called to cultivate, is not about convincing yourself that you're unattractive or that you're incompetent. People get very confused on this. It's not about beating yourself up or trying to make yourself into nothing. You know, sometimes people will pray, God, just make me nothing. If God wanted to make you nothing, he could have done that. God is perfectly capable of making nothing. That was not his plan for you. And it's not a modest thing to pray that. Humility has to do with a kind of submitted willingness. Or another way of thinking about it is, it's kind of a healthy self-forgetfulness. You know you've begun to make progress in this area of humility when you find that you get, you get so enabled by the Holy Spirit to live in the moment that you're not preoccupied with yourself anymore. When you're with someone, you're truly with them. And you're not wondering how they can benefit you or if there's someone else in the room that could benefit you more. You're just simply with them, loving them. Humble people are not people who are cutting themselves down all the time. They're simply people who have been empowered by God to love their neighbors the way they love themselves, to be as happy when the neighbor succeeds as when they themselves succeed. That's how you know you're on the road to humility. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about how to cultivate humility. He talks to people who wrestle with pride, people who do righteous things. He says, here's what you do. Go ahead and fast. Fasting can be a helpful thing. But when you fast, don't let anyone know you're doing it. Go ahead and give to the poor. Go ahead and give money to God. Give money, but as you do it, don't let people know you're doing it. Go ahead and pray. But as you pray, don't let people know you're doing it. In other words, do good things, but keep them secret. Don't give in to the temptation to go around and impress other people. I think it'd be good if we could practice this kind of secrecy because you'll discover you can live life without impressing people and you'll begin to be liberated. You'll begin to be freed of the, this terrible addiction of having to make other people think the right thing about you. So in closing, I'm gonna run through a few scenarios where you may be tempted to say something to draw attention to yourself this week. Instead, 
let's just make a commitment together that we're going to use these situations as opportunities to grow in humility. Sometime this week, you're going to be tempted to impress someone with your accomplishments or with your spirituality or with your maturity or something very impressive that you've, you've done or said. It's almost a conditioned response. You're going to be tempted to make yourself look a little better than you are. When you tell someone about something that you saw on TV, you're going to be tempted to preface it with the statement, you know, I don't really watch TV, but so they don't think you just sit around and watch TV all day. You're going to be tempted to say something to manage their impression of you. Instead, this week, we're going to see this as an opportunity to grow in humility. Sometime this week, you're going to be tempted to judge someone. You're going to be tempted to judge someone who did the wrong thing or said the wrong thing or posted the wrong thing. And it's just going to feel so good to tell someone else about this thing that someone did that you didn't like. But when that temptation comes, we're going to remember what Jesus teaches about the various forms that pride takes. And we're going to see this as an opportunity to grow in humility. This week, you're going to have an opportunity to submit to someone else. You're going to be sitting in the family room and the remote control is going to be equally distant between you and someone else. There's going to be a baseball game on and there's going to be a disease of the week movie on. You don't want to grow in humility that bad, do you? You see, this is our chance to follow Jesus and be freed from the stupidity and the painfulness and the vanity of going through life, trying to make sure other people think the right things about us. I want to close with this. The single most important thing that we can do uh, to humble ourselves is to simply offer acts of servanthood. Because the reality is, sometimes we're like the Pharisee in the story Jesus told. Thank God I'm not an idiot like that guy. Thank God I don't believe the things he believes. Thank God I don't look like her or dress like her. Thank God I don't have a job like him. Thank God I'm not poor like her. Thank God I'm a good person. I have a healthy family. I don't cheat. I don't lust. I give money to charity. I mean, sometimes we're like the Pharisee in the story. And I think the most important way to find humility, which is the only way to be exalted, is to serve people. And there are a ton of opportunities to serve people. We just have to open our eyes to see them. Here's the truth. Every time you serve, you're following Jesus. I mean, no act of service will ever be lost. Many very impressive actions by very powerful, important people will one day burn up like straw and be forgotten. But no act of servanthood in the name of Jesus, not the smallest cup of cold water given to the least of these, will be lost. Because life, the way Jesus intended it to be lived, looks a whole lot different than the world. The way of Jesus is the way where the great is a servant, where the first is a slave, where those who lose their lives find them, where the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of this world where strength is perfected in weakness, where those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the life that God intended us to live. All right, let me pray for you. 
God, I just pray this week as we go out and live our lives that you would help us to first of all acknowledge our pride and then humble ourselves. And of course, the greatest act of humility is to just go out and serve people. And I pray through doing that, God, that we would live in this upside down world that you have for us to live and that it would lead to great joy and fulfillment and meaning uh, beyond whatever we could have hoped or asked. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.